Welcome everybody to the Gameology Podcast. My name is Matt. This is Attila. Hello there. And this is a show where we talk all about a specific element of game design. On this week's show, we're talking about tutorials and first levels. Now, games, you could argue, need these because although there are shared control paradigms throughout games throughout the time that evolve but are generally shared i mean if you look at a standard game now you're almost always guaranteed to be using two joysticks and the right joystick is going to control that camera or it's going to control your aim if someone says you're going to be playing a twin stick shooter you generally know what to do if you're playing a platformer one's going to jump and one's going to control that speed momentum but when it comes down to tutorials they they have their place they have to be necessary in some way because games are all presented in a different flavor and they might use different control mechanics even if they're just a different flavor of a traditional game you've played many versions of or if they're creative and uh, and brand new but one thing i want to talk about tutorials is that they've stopped me from playing a lot of games and i find that the tutorial level in a game is so in your face and is so designed to allow everybody to play it's like they think every tutorial they make well what if someone's never played a video game before what if someone was blind their whole life and just and received sight or like what if they had an operation that lets them use their hands again we have to make sure that this first level is so boring and so slow and is so button prompty where i can't get through that first hour and it stops me from playing games where i want the game to make me figure it out i think that people that like video games over other media not to say that you can like one or the other but i prefer video games the most for most media it's because it's interactive it's because it's a puzzle it's i'm going in there and i'm interacting and if it just becomes follow the arrow press b over here do this and if there's zero challenge then that is a big problem and i think the tutorials they have a big problem with that and i think that we are still learning how to do the best tutorial now if you look at like older games Older games a lot of times came with a beautiful instruction manual, colored, some artwork. Maybe you, you unfolded a map that you got to hang out on your wall, hang on your wall because the interface just couldn't support an on-screen map. And the game didn't always tell you exactly where to go. It used the game itself and the villains and and your challenges to teach you how to play. And I think that we're really losing that. And that we've definitely, it's not all bad, of course. I'm not some cranky old man who thinks it was all better in the olden days. Um, it is definitely better now in a way that they can, they don't even really need instruction manuals anymore. It's now all on the screen. But I think we need to reach a balance of showing people. And maybe if that just means asking a question at the beginning of the game Have you played games before? Are you hardcore? Pick this, skip the tutorial level because, and just get to the fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you've you've touched upon like, a lot there mm -hmm. um specifically like I, I was attending a convention this past weekend where we were showing off our game to um it would ended up being a lot of kids and the the number of kids now who are actually just playing games on tablet and who've never held a controller before is astonishing oh god i know but um this is why when we when i created um robo's world the zarnok fortress and uh, specifically the first couple levels in there Oh, I can see you're just devastated by this. I put you into a contemplative state. Um, but when I was creating the, the first couple levels, um, very first prompt you get on screen is like, left stick is move left and right, A button to jump. And it's like, you'd, you'd think that would be obvious. You'd think that would be something that people would just know and expect. Um, but it, it's just... It's something we have to acknowledge that like not everyone plays games with controllers. Not everyone's going to know these kinds of things. Now, you're entirely correct in uh, presenting people with this option of like, hey, have you played a game before? Like, 
every time I go into uh, playing a new Pokemon game and they show me how to catch Pokemon again, and it's this like, you know, couple minutes of my life where all I can do is just press A and like watch the NPC show me how to use a Pokeball. And it's like, you know, you could probably put something into the game and say like, hey, have you played Pokemon before? You know, not necessarily like any game, but have you played Pokemon? Because then there's obviously new things that they introduce with every generation, but maybe they could keep things limited to what is new. They don't just try to teach you how to play the game all over again from scratch. And then, sorry, and then leave it up to the player where they say like, oh, actually, you know what? It's been like 20 years since I've touched this franchise. Go ahead and tell me how to play this game again. But it should be the player's choice. Yeah, I remember playing... There's definitely a few shooters that I've played where the first question they ask you is, have you played a shooter before? And are you, you, know, are you a hardcore shooter fan? Because um, operating twin sticks mm-hmm. is a huge hurdle. And that's one of the biggest things that if someone comes by and is like, oh, I haven't played a video game since uh, Mario. And wrapping their head around balancing these two um, bowling pins on a bowling ball is, is tough because it's not a great system. It's like if if you've played a PC shooter and you've played a console shooter, it's night and day. That's why you can't have cross-platform because you'd get murdered by people on the PC. So that, that and that's a great topic for another show, is mm-hmm. are we going to lose this current control scheme with a new generation of gamers? But that's, that's for another time. I think that, um, you know, prompts on a screen are great because they don't slow you down. Mm-hmm. They are just a little, hey, here's the instruction when you need it, and you're immediately going to use it and commit that to memory, rather than before when you had to look in the instruction manual and you had to like memorize these commands or you had to reference it whenever you needed it. And it was like very slow. So they're bringing that interface to you. I think that that's a really great way to do it. Um, uh, XCOM Enemy Within I was playing and they have a very very thorough tutorial that goes through every single thing but it is so slow it's prevented me from getting out of the game and I just realized that you can just skip that tutorial level and that's something I should have done all along I think that um, I was thinking like what would, you don't make a really cool game imagine this game starts you're in a black room and there's and there's nothing except a light in the corner now I think most players are going to go towards the light and maybe you could scare them and that could be a ghost or whatever but that's up to you as a game designer after that. I think that we really need to give people a bit more credit with it. You can have prompts to say how to move and all that. That's totally fine but I think you you don't want to lose what it is to play your game in the tutorial mm-hmm. because it's I was playing Rayman Legends on uh, on the Vita and they really because it's a Vita game they want you to use the top screen they want you to rotate it they want you to use all the gimmicks and that's fine I'm totally fine with doing that but it took a long time to get to a point where that was actually of consequence where if you didn't flip the screen and, and tickle the enemy which is a hilarious mechanic um, you you weren't going to be punished for that until later and I just I want the tutorials to stop holding the hand as much and like let go it's like hey mom I'm on my own now I don't need you to come over and make me dinner every single day it's definitely an interesting um, interplay. Like as a designer, I know that in my games, I have not perfected um, the art of creating a tutorial. I know that in Zarnok Fortress, um, in the first like tutorial level, people like even though I've gone to these exhaustive lengths of creating these like on-screen prompts and introducing like elements one at a time, um, players still don't quite grasp things. So I, I want to preface what I'm saying in just like. Don't think of me as a hypocrite just because I'm sort of preaching these ideals that I have not yet achieved. I'm fully aware of that. Um, 
because in Zarnok Fortress, the, the very least what I did was I made it so that you have all of your abilities at the beginning of that game. You don't just unlock them as I'm teaching you about them. And that means that you are free to get through these levels as fast as possible. And in fact, you can find ways of skipping the entire sort of tutorial segment of the game just by um, just by finding some particularly uh, difficult to traverse speedrunning paths, which you would have no trouble with if you're a more experienced player of the game. So that's how I tried to sort of bridge the gap between like players who are going through on their very first time or players who've just never played the game before. Because you, you kind of mentioned how like you used to get a game and you'd open up the box. And I was always one of those people who took the time to like read the manual before I played the game. I just felt like that was my duty as a player. It's like the game designers have provided me with this booklet. I'm going to look through it. Um, but now we have so many games that are distributed digital, digitally that they don't come with these booklets anymore. As you said, you sort of have to put that text into the game. You have to find an alternate way of presenting that information to the player. And I did it with on-screen prompts. In some cases, I had to explain certain mechanics in the game, like item crafting. And those were more difficult to explain as something that the player could just walk past because there was nothing of consequence to not pressing start and opening up the crafting menu. So I had to, I, I resorted to, I, I shouldn't say I had to, I resorted to putting physical barriers in the game, which you had to like interact with the terminal, read some relatively slow text crawl that explained how does crafting work. And I totally acknowledge that as a, like a failing of design on my part, because when you're creating a tutorial if you have to resort to this kind of like text crawl kind of thing, it's way better rather than presenting it as just like text on a terminal screen, it should be presented as like a character speaking to you because just think about how much like more naturally engaged you are. If you feel like there is a, a dialogue between you and another person, you're much more interested in what they have to say, even if all they're spouting is tutorial text. Um, but that can make a character feel very disingenuous as well. Yeah, I, I think, you know, everybody hates the Owl and Ocarina of Time. Um, unless you give the character, like, a, a decent amount of personality, like GLaDOS, you, you do tend to, like, just sort of gloss over what they're saying. Um, all I'm saying is that if you have to resort to delivering um, information to the player via text, it's best to be doing it as if it's a conversation, as if it's somebody talking to them. Um, having a face on screen that they can relate to is one of the best ways that they don't just completely ignore what's being said to them. I think Bioshock did that really well by having a constant feed um, with the character that you're talking to, but they interspersed that with story. And mm -hmm. that's obviously what made Bioshock so incredible was the way they told the story while you're playing. There's, I think, a few of the Call of Duty games of late have been really guilty of having these NPCs and characters in your ear that just, all they tell you is like, do this, go over here, open this. And it's it's a lot of what takes me out of a game when I think about, um, I was I played The Witcher a little bit last year, Witcher Three, mm -hmm. and uh, the latest Batman last year because they're they're big titles and I wanted to give them a shot and everybody seemed to really love them for the most part. But what really turned me off was this Assassin's Creed style of here's a big map, and you don't there's no sense of wonder and mm -hmm. there's no sense of exploration because the second you walk past a guy, boom. Uh, a marker shows up, and then you just end up spending most of your time looking at this map, walking towards a marker, and it just felt like I was going through the motions, and there was no challenge or, like, what's around the corner? I wonder what this is. Let's explore. Let's figure it out. Like, there's a challenge within the combat, and there's a challenge of solving puzzles, but I think that there should be 
I just want to be more engaged with it. And I find that when it becomes a constant amount of just go over here, follow the arrow, just follow the arrow, it's a, it's a lot like a rat in an easy maze, like at least give me an interesting maze to go through. Yeah, like you're, you're describing um, the sort of like overreachingness of these tutorials about like how you, you don't feel like you're enjoying or experiencing the games much that you're just being led through the nose through the game. And I think I have the sort of opposite problem in Zarnock Fortress where like, I drop the player off in the fortress. I'm like, yeah, so uh, go go destroy the fortress core. By the way, go sabotage these other zones to make the fortress core easier to destroy. Um, uh, get used to opening your map. Opening your map, because that's important. You need to find your way around. Uh, bye. And I, I, I feel like a lot of people get to that point in the game, and then they just get lost, because they are presented with this like huge, overwhelming right. uh, task that they, they don't know where to go. So... As much as you hate being led by the nose, and you know, I, I've complained about like in, in Ocarina enough time on the previous podcast, I was like, where do I go? I beat this temple and that was awesome, and I was able to figure things out within the temple, but now where do I go? Um and you know, these things aren't always clear to the player, and that that's why I feel like it's useful to be able to pull that information up as necessary to be able to like summon a companion who you can ask, like, ah, uh, yeah, I need a hint, please. But just to that presumption of like the fact that the players can't do without something like that, I think that's what's really bothering you. Absolutely. And it's, I think it was in uh, one of the Mario's, maybe one of the Mario Galaxies, where if you fail a level a number of times, they, um, you can skip through it uh, yeah. quite easily. And I think that, like you said uh, on another episode, if you have been, sometimes we just stay away from games for a few weeks or a few months, yeah. and it can be very overwhelming to be dropped, not just at the beginning of the game and given all the tools in Zarnox Fortress, but to be halfway through an RPG and you're like, who are these people? What is this? What is my relationship with you? Where am I supposed to go? And now I've got like a whole half a game's worth of mechanics. Now with, um, so I think that having that on demand is nice, mm -hmm. but I still want the ability to fail at something a lot of times and go back to it. And that's fine because if, if it's a fun, challenging game, then it should be a fair challenge. And you shouldn't really, it shouldn't, um, it should be fun to fail mm -hmm. in games. And, and that's like, if you play uh, checkers against somebody and you don't have fun if you don't win, well, you're kind of a jerk, you know, unless you're trying to like training to be the most uh, competitive checkers player in the world. Well, quick point I wanted to make about Xarnax Fortress is that you have a trade, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like you made a trade-off in that you wanted this to be also done for speedrunners. Yeah. So a speedrunner wants to be able to drop in, here's all the tools, if you know what you're doing, go nuts. Whereas an individual player, if they have all these tools, it can be overwhelming. But I think that if you set up a game in that situation where here's all the tools, but you don't need to use all of them until later on in the game, and you're sort of introducing how they use those tools that they already have uh, to get through each level. So they're not punished by not using all of it. They could just get through with just some simple mechanics. Then I think that's a way of still not uh, making it uh, limiting or overwhelming. Yeah, no, you're 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 right that the the game is designed with the sort of like high-level play very much in mind. And if you are a high-level player, then you, you don't want the sort of training wheels to be bound onto you from the beginning of the experience. But unfortunately, there's no way to become a high-level player without first being a, you know, getting into the game. Like, everyone has to start somewhere. Everyone has to get into the game. Everyone has to learn what the controls are, how to use and combine their abilities. And that's just something that, you know, it's easier to do in... Um, other kinds of games where you simply have fewer inputs, like in a game where you only have like 
move left, move right, jump, attack, it's a lot easier than move around, use your camera, throw grenades, fold down into compact mode, jump, dash, laser, grenade. Uh, so I'm repeating myself. Anyway, but just, yeah, there's... <laughs> so much to keep track of. Yeah, exactly. And see, um, if I'm just trying to rhyme these things off the top of my head, it's even too much. Um, so yeah, there's just... Creating a tutorial that makes all these things feel intuitive yeah. is your ultimate goal, right? You want to present the player... Um, either deliberately or even by tricking them into figuring out what the control mechanism mechanisms in your game are. Uh, have you played the beginning of Portal 2? Nope. Ah, okay. I won't spoil this then. I'm going to go back to an older example of Mario. Um, the very like well-known Mario 1-1 layout and level, um, it was speculated and since confirmed by Shigeru Miyamoto that you know, you're, you're sort of presented with, okay, I can move left, I can move right, I can jump. These are sort of things that you just naturally figure out because there are so few buttons on the controller. Um, and, you know, that, that's the, the great thing about having a controller is there's fewer buttons. You know, you don't have to go to a keyboard and just press all, like, hundred keys to figure out what does what. Ideally, the game is telling you what does what. Um, but you, anyway, so you're, you're moving along as Mario and you see these things above you, you see an enemy coming towards you, and then you hopefully jump to get over it. And while jumping, you might end up hitting one of the things above you um, and spawning the mushroom, the very first mushroom that you collect in the game. And then it starts moving, but it hits the very first pipe in the game, and it starts coming around back towards you. And then again, because your only experience in this game so far with mushroom-shaped things that are moving towards you is that first Goomba, which kills you, mm -hmm. you might try to jump over this second... Um, mushroom again but this time you bump into it because you've hit something on your the the ceiling is too low for you to completely clear the jump over it and then you're kind of tricked into getting a power-up and then you realize oh i'm bigger now that must mean something good it, and then yeah subsequently you find out that if you take a hit while you while you're big you become small so that's what i mean that like sometimes even if something isn't necessarily intuitive you can kind of trick players into like learning something about a particular mechanic in the game. Now that sounds infinitely more exciting than just go over here, load up, press R to aim, blah blah blah. Yeah, no, it's it's something that um, I kind of arrived at in Zarnok Fortress. There's a moment where the the game is teaching you how to dash, and you originally you you dash, and the conveyor belt pushes you back. Um, the conveyor belt you're standing on that is forcing you to use the dash because again, I've put the ceiling so low that the player can't jump over it. So the player tries to dash, and they get pushed back. They dash a couple times, they keep getting pushed back, and they get to the point where they're just mashing the jump button or the the dash button, and eventually they clear the conveyor belt, and then they're in midair and they land on a bounce pad. And then that springs them up into the air. And for a lot of players, that's like this sort of like, whoa, I didn't know that was going to happen kind of moment. But it's just, you know, it, it's it's a, a small example of how I can say, like, you know, players wouldn't have necessarily known, go over to this bounce pad to get launched up into the air. They don't know that that bit of what might be decoration actually interacts with them in some way. And it's something that players then from that point on, know to interact with if they need to, like, get up to a high space. I don't think I've ever had a player uh, a problem with a player not identifying a jump pad in the game. Um, and, yeah, there's there's definitely other things that I've had difficulties with in creating the tutorial in Zarnok Fortress, but 
your number one goal is always to be creating something that feels intuitive. And when you're doing that, it's very difficult to create something intuitive without feeling um, the, 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 the possibility of like, uh, of uh, the player misunderstanding something. Yeah. It's it just, it can happen so often where I, I know that recently I watched a couple of videos of people playing, um, oh, the, the game that takes place on an island with the sort of swipey puzzles. I think it's called The Witness. The Witness, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, I remember seeing a couple of people trying some of the earlier puzzles where they're like dividing black from white and they just sort of misunderstood how that mechanic was because they, they just kind of failed their way through the first couple of puzzles. Um, thinking that, oh, I just have to draw a line between these two. They don't necessarily understand that they're actually separating black from white. And it's, it's incredibly difficult to create a puzzle that is, you sort of have to like learn by failure, but you have to eventually fail enough times where you do sort of figure out what the one correct combination is and then you move on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't want them to fluke out on us. So yeah. that, that was designed hopefully well enough that they would have enough puzzles, much like we were talking about bosses on the mm-hmm. previous episode, that that cannot have been a fluke. We need to hammer this into you that this is how you do it before you move on. Yeah, exactly. Because it is a crucial skill that there are several other puzzles in the game that you simply cannot tackle if you haven't mastered this most basic idea of like separate, separating different colored or uh, black and white boxes from one another. Um, and it, it often results in a lot of these tutorial experiences feeling very constrained, um, creating these experiences, uh, these things which, I mean, yeah, you figure it out because they give you like no alternative. Like they're they're trying to teach you a mechanic in the game and every time you, you, you basically can't fail, like that early in the game, you don't want to like get a game over and have to repeat things you've done before. But it just it presents you with this sort of like false sense of urgency where it's like, you got to hit the, the button and shoot the gun now or you're going to die. And yet the enemy that's like standing over you is just like standing there waiting for you to shoot back. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, I, I understand that you're trying to make this compelling because that's another thing. We want our quote unquote tutorials to not feel like tutorials. We want them to be as compelling as every other moment in the game. And if that's how you're going to do it, if it's like having a big, big bad guy standing over top of you with like, um, bearing down on you with some sort of weapon and your player is like, you know, struggling to like line a weapon up on them and then fire back. But then, you know, you, you realize that if you do nothing, there's no penalty for doing nothing because, hey, this is just the beginning of the game. We don't want anyone to fail this early. There's a few examples. Uh, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to spoil, but there are a few games, uh, very modern ones too, where... I love the trick of uh, they they set you up against your first enemy and you're supposed to die, and you try everything you can in your power and you and you die and then when you're expecting I guess let's have to repeat this then when they say warp you maybe you wake up and you go somewhere else or now you're in the underworld I I think that's a fantastic way of it's a fantastic narrative trick it's very engaging and you're immediately I'm playing the game I'm trying my hardest and you're you're able to explore a lot of different uh, mechanics of it and still fail but then move on to another way I think it's a that's a great way to do it I think oh go ahead oh just I I I agree that it's an interesting trick but I I would caution that it's one that's very difficult to actually do right um just because I, I sort of uh, approach things from the design philosophy of like never expect the player to fail. Um, never hope that they screw up in a way that is like you know if you if you think like oh great I've died 
I was the kind of kid who, if I came up on that sort of thing and I was playing on my Game Boy, I would have just flipped the power off and on again, you know, because I, I would have been like, well, darn, I guess I, I guess I failed this encounter. Let me reload my save as quickly as possible. I don't want to watch the game over screen. I'm just going to like turn the power off, turn the power back on. So it, it's, it's difficult to do that sort of thing and sort of telegraph to the player. It's like, oh no, you, you actually can't win this seriously don't try um we're we got something going on in the background here um don't waste your time but okay now a real quick question you're saying you try to design a game around the fact that you're not expecting the player to fail but i mean surely people fail at video games all the time it's unless it's unless they i don't think a game would really be that interesting if you didn't fail once the entire time so do you not kind of keep that in mind you're designing a game that in a way to make something more interesting the more times they go through it? Yeah, no, I, I guess I should rephrase that. What I, what I just mean that, like, you're, you're talking about an example where the player has actually, like, um, lost to an enemy I that see. they didn't know they couldn't beat. Um, obviously, I, I design um, failure points to my game all the time. Like, if a, if a player screws up a jump uh, and then they fall down, you have to say, like, oh, how do I get the player back up to the ledge where they can uh, attempt the jump again? You have to allow for that kind of possibility space. Mm -hmm. I just, like, you can have, um, like, Easter eggs surrounding, like, oh, a particularly odd death scene or whatever, um, which just, it, it might incidentally be seen by players because they happen to lose to something. Um, but I, I really appreciate, like, even in the sort of narrative sense of these games, um, Sometimes they have these encounters where it's like, okay, here's an enemy who at this point in the story you are not supposed to be able to kill, but maybe it's their second or third playthrough and they just happen to be good enough at the game that they do play through it and they do actually kill the enemy. Even if after that cutscene of the player defeating the enemy, um, like, you know, if they weren't supposed to kill the enemy, the cutscene still plays out afterwards as it would have of like the player, um, I don't know. I guess it, thematically, sometimes it doesn't make sense if you've like, oh, but I, but I thought I beat that guy. So you, obviously, you don't want it to make it so easy that the player. I've, I've seen one yeah. game where the player ran away from yeah. the first enemy and got past and was not supposed to, and then didn't have any of the equipment necessary to get through any of the game and just oh, ended no. up running around exploring this world until they came back. Oh no! Yeah, see, that's that's the kind of thing that you really have to watch out for, and that's why I said it's it's one of these things that is hard to do right because you 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 know. If you have this enemy that you, um, that you, you yeah, you, you just don't want to have the player get the wrong impression about their performance. Mm -hmm. They need to understand that this is something that they thematically should not be prepared to deal with yet. It's, um, I think some, maybe some developers might have like a, almost like a fear of missing out, but a fear of the players missing out. And I was at that same expo you were at this weekend, the Enthusiast Gaming Expo of Toronto, and time of recording obviously we're not time travelers and i i got that sense from like there's a, there's a lot of different styles in how developers show you a game some sit you down they give you the quick over, overview one guy one guy actually asked me just like a tutorial he's like have you played twin six shooters before yes all right here's the goals and it was a very simple explanation i had another developer explain to me the entire game while clicking around himself and i really wanted to play it and he mm -hmm. didn't really let me play it and it was not a very engaging thing it's um i liken it to grocery shopping with my girlfriend mm. if she has the list in her head and it's all her and she's just planning it out i am bored beyond tears and i'm gonna try and whip out my vita and play while i'm pushing grocery cart but if we split it up i got my things i get she got hers it's 
it's a thousand times more interesting. And that's something as boring as, gro- as, as boring as grocery shopping. You just have a task. I have a challenge. That's what I need. I want a trophy at the end of it. And it's an apple. But it's... um. I'm thinking of an intro to a game I loved was Final Fantasy VII. I think we talk about this every time on, the, on, the, on these episodes, at least I do, because it is such a landmark in gaming. Uh, there is not really much for tutorial. They just sort of throw you in in media res. You don't know who the character is. They introduce you very quickly as you go. You learn about the characters from their actions, and you immediately start fighting. And immediately, like immediately, that's the first thing you do in the game is get into um, an encounter. And it just, uh, I think it has this pace that pushes you along and before you even know the consequences of what you've done and the reasoning to what you've done you've done it and i think it's a fantastic way one of the best opening sequences and opening acts uh in gaming history yeah so with uh with the in that example it's it's a perfect example of something that is compelling um that is reasonably intuitive intuitive enough you would say Mm -hmm, absolutely yeah and it's just it's it's sort of because the, the main thing you want to accomplish with any good tutorial is you are teaching people how to play your game. And you need to create a teaching experience. <laughs> like this is something that uh, you know any teacher would struggle with, right? Is creating material that is compelling enough that their students are like paying attention and following along with. Um, because you know ultimately, if you don't teach people how to play your game well enough, they're not going to enjoy the entire rest of the game. So tutorials are so important for developers to get right. And it's it's honestly an incredibly difficult sort of design task because by the time you've made the whole game, everything feels intuitive to you as a designer. So it's really difficult to actually get feedback on the game and get, get, get a real sense of like, does this actually teach the player how to play my game? It's hard to get, like especially as an independent developer, to get enough uh, like fresh blood in experience in the game constantly that they that you're you're getting an honest sense of feedback of like are people properly learning how to play my game well that is going to do it for this week's show tune in every week where we have a new audio version and a new video version of the podcast where we talk about a specific element of game design i have been your host matt i'm from the youtube channel a 90s kid where you can find a video version of this podcast you can find the audio on itunes or your podcasting software it's called gameology and a taylor where can they find you so you can find me on Twitter at Bluish Green Pro, and you can find me on my website, bluishgreenproductions.com, where I will be posting my extended thoughts on today's subject. Bye for now. <laughs>